And that is Young RJ on RTHK Radio 3 with the song Algorithm, which is all about uh, his experience with social media. And as I said at the top of the show, today is Social Media Day. So we're going to take a deeper dive into what social media is. I mean, people use social media apparently on average for about 144 minutes every single day, over two hours a day. And if we go back in history, I'll give you a brief timeline of, of social media. The first ever social media media platform was called Six Degrees. It came out back in 1997. I'd never heard of it, but at its peak, it had over a million users, but it was eventually shut down in 2001. Then came Friendster. Friendster lasted uh, 2002, uh, between 2002 and 2015. It had over 100 million users. Most of those were actually in Asia. LinkedIn, was launched back in 2003, MySpace and Facebook 2004, and initially MySpace was the more successful of the two. Then by 2006, it was the largest social media platform in the world. YouTube came along in 2005, Twitter in 2006. Of course, those are still around, as is Facebook. Instagram launched in 2010 and grew really quickly, got over a million users in the first couple of months. And as we know, Facebook owns Instagram. It owns WhatsApp. Uh, the one platform it didn't buy, wasn't able to buy, was Snapchat, which was launched in 2011. And probably the most recent addition to the list of social media heavyweights is TikTok, which was launched in 2016 and, of course, is very popular. And here in Hong Kong, 75% of Internet users are on Facebook and WhatsApp and YouTube follow closely behind with about 74% and 73%. And while 45% of our population in Hong Kong are active on Instagram and Facebook Messenger, just about 44% use the mainland Chinese WeChat. So lots of numbers there, lots of issues as well. And we're delighted to be joined right now by Dr. Florence C. Serban, who's a lecturer in the Department of Communication at Hong Kong Baptist University. Dr. Serban does research in media sociology, artificial intelligence and the impact of technology on media identities and public participation. So, Dr. Serban, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much for uh, having me. Good afternoon. It's great to have you on and we, we have so much to talk about. I mean, I just went through a very brief timeline of social media and, of course, we've seen some platforms come and go. But there are some that have really stuck. What, what do you think makes those ones so popular? Oh, that uh, this is a great question. I mean, I, as as I was listening through the timeline, I was also thinking of uh, uh, some of the platforms that um, had the potential, but they never really took off. And here, a great example would be Google Plus, right? Mm. Google Plus was around in 2012, and then you know it just uh, simply faded away. So it is, uh, you know, the the one million dollars question: what makes uh, um, a platform uh, stay, and what uh, makes them uh, completely uh, unsuccessful? Um, I think it's a it's a factor. I think timing is very important. I think the audience that you are targeting is also very important. Now, obviously. A platform such as Facebook had, um, uh, you know, had the advantage of being launched at a particular time, and we should. I, I always uh, um, encourage uh, uh, people to contextualize uh, the time when these platforms come. I mean, Facebook and YouTube. Uh, they uh, grow at a time when we are switching from, um, uh, you know, our um, uh, telephones, our cell phones 
to uh, smartphones, right? And that gives us an advantage because all of a sudden we uh, are more mobile, right? Um, we can connect with people and we can uh, exchange messages, but the great advantage is that we can do that um, away from our desktop. Right. You were mentioning uh, MySpace earlier, right? And I remember, I think my first account was on uh, on MySpace and uh, it was a, a desktop platform, uh -huh. right? And it encouraged users just to get in touch, especially with, um, uh, with um, uh, bands, right? So you can get in touch with Radiohead or uh, yes. you know, whoever was, uh, was your first choice. And um, uh, I think we, we witnessed uh, liberation around 2005, 2008. That's the time when, uh, when uh, the more sophisticated smartphones also come out. And all of a sudden, we are able to create online communities. We are able to exchange uh, messages from the comfort of um, uh, our uh, everyday mobility, right? And in, in Hong Kong, we, we do need that, right? When we are commuting, when we are going from one place to another. So I think that's uh, part of the success. And in recent years, I mean, we have something like uh, TikTok in recent mm -hmm. years, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's definitely targeted uh, at a younger audience. Uh, we should not forget that uh, we will always have a younger audience that will try to get away from the more mainstream uh, platforms because usually their parents are <laughs> right. uh, on those platforms, <laughs> right? So they want to get away from them and they uh, create their own uh, communities. And a few years ago, I think six years ago, Snapchat was the, uh, the first popular, choice for young yeah. people. Yes, and, and nowadays that's, it's, that's TikTok. Uh, it's uh, TikTok. Now, yeah, and it's driven by these algorithms, right? Like uh, we have listened in the in the song before um, before our talk. So uh, definitely, there are there are many things that go into um, uh, into what makes uh, a platform uh, successful. But to be honest, there is no real uh, uh, recipe, and I think the failure of Google Plus shows us that yeah there's no magic formula the other thing that mm -hmm. is really interesting which I, I guess is purely comes out of social media culture is this whole concept of virality of going viral how does something go viral and and what determines why that thing goes viral and not something else that's again a very good question i i think it's about timing and i i think we in order to look at virality uh we need to understand that in our um, society, we used to have certain kind of gatekeepers when it came to entertainment, when it came to um, information, right? We always used to rely on others to tell us what is popular, what mm. is hip, right? From uh, uh, the, Think about all the critics, all the food critics, film critics, right? We used to rely on those kind of um, gatekeepers uh, to tell us uh, uh, what uh, what works and not. And, um, you know, with the democratization of these platforms, having people from uh, from all walks of life uh, creating an account, right? It's very affordable. You pretty much lose control over what can become popular or not, right? I mean, who decides at the end of the day? Um, you start to have a cat video, right, that can become more viral than, um, you know, something that it's, uh, uh, it's more uh, serious. Um, I think it's about timing. I think it's about particular platforms, right? Something becomes v uh, uh, viral on a particular platform, and then it can spill over. It can also uh, become popular elsewhere, right? right yes. I remember, for example, in Hong Kong, uh, about it was I, I think it was around 2005. It was the famous uh, bus uncle video, right? Oh, yes. When someone 
Exactly. That, that's probably the, one of the first viral videos that we had in uh, Hong Kong from these social network platforms. And uh, in my research a few years ago, I was talking to the reporter who uh, discovered and who interviewed, um, uh, uh, you know, the person who, who filmed. And in the beginning, you know, the, the newsroom where she uh, was working at didn't really want to pick up on the story but mm. they they realized it's so viral right everyone in hong kong is talking about yeah. that video so we should also um, you know, we should also come and uh, and discuss about it so um, for those youngsters who who missed this this was a, a man on a bus in hong kong who was filmed ranting at another passenger saying you have stress i have stress we all have stress and that video went viral Exactly. And, and, you know, after the video, we also had a lot of memes about it, right? Uh, people just uh, adding subtitles, just changing completely the uh, meaning of the video. So, uh, yeah, that will classify as probably the, um, the first viral video on social media platforms that we uh, have uh, uh, witnessed in, uh, in Hong Kong. Now, the other thing that is very common in social media now is, of course, influencers, key opinion leaders, and this whole thing about influencer culture. Is that actually new, or is is it just now it's moved on to social media platforms and humans have always felt compelled to follow somebody? Exactly. I, I think it's not new, right? Because um, uh, going back to what I was saying earlier about gatekeepers and people who are uh, uh, seen as experts in their field, right? I think about people who uh, who are cooking, who have cooking shows and traveling shows, right? I mean, uh, we have KOLs, key opinion leaders uh, for uh, for traveling, right? In Hong Kong, there are quite uh, quite a few of them. Um, but at the same time, you know, at the larger scale, there was someone like uh, Anthony Bourdain who was, mm. you know, traveling and doing these kind of shows. Uh, now, obviously, we would not look at him uh, as someone who is a KOL. But at the end of the day, what's really the distinction? Uh, he was part of a, a bigger media company, right? And he was creating more sophisticated productions. But ultimately, it's this idea of looking at someone and uh, uh, trying to get information, trying to get connected with what he or she is doing on that platform. And I think as our society is witnessing this uh, decline in gatekeeping, um, we are picking up on these kind of influencers uh, quite randomly. I think the most important um, uh, criteria that we have is whether we can relate to them or not. Right. right? If you look at most of these influencers, they uh, speak very normally, right? Yeah. They uh, live they, they, they don't go with that sophistication of with that language that tries to um, and that tries to please everyone. And yeah. they are just very straightforward and they talk the language of, uh, again, young people, right? Because usually these uh, uh, KOLs uh, are mainly targeting uh, uh, young people. And, and they're, again, they're not... being related is it's key, yeah. Right. They're not necessarily skilled at anything. I mean, they can just be a, a, an influencer because... Um, they post regularly and they don't they don't necessarily have any special skill that they're demonstrating or showing exactly but i think it's uh, uh, this simplicity ultimately that really uh, uh, connects a younger audience and makes those people relatable because ultimately uh, if i am watching a kol I probably want to put myself into uh, her or his shoes, right? I just want to see that what they are doing, it's completely normal. Uh, it's possible, you know, I don't need to go to the most uh, 
expensive place in the world. I can just do uh, something very simple and a KOL will show me how to do that. So in this regard, um, you know, there's a lot of potential to uh, to take off and to engage this younger uh, uh, audience. Mm. Um, I'm curious because I know you've done some work on dating apps. Do you see dating apps as a form of social media? Uh, certainly. If we if we imagine social, it depends on how we define them, right? If we define social uh, media platforms as uh, uh, as spaces, online spaces where people can uh, build communities and can exchange messages, then dating apps are certainly uh, uh, classified as uh, social media platforms. Now, obviously, it's more one-on-one. It's not one-to-many, yes. as, uh, you know, Facebook Usually. would be like. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. No, normally, it's, uh, if you think of any kind of dating app, it's a place where you are uh, self-managing your image. You are sharing uh, information about you. You are trying to impress other people, and uh, you are communicating with them ultimately right so that's why i think uh, it can be seen uh, as a, a social media uh, platform in the idea that we are sharing something about ourselves and we are trying to create a community with other people that follow us like us right exchange messages with us mm. so there's definitely throughout all these social media experiences that element of curation of putting yourself out there in a certain way. Now, for you, um, Dr. Sermon, what, I mean, there are positive aspects of social media. Um, what would you say are the positive, but also some of the negative aspects? Right, I, I, probably the positive one and something that uh, was seen 15, 20 years ago as, uh, as a game changer is this possibility of participation of allowing the public, you know, uh, we used to classify the public as being read only. We go, we pick up a newspaper or we watch the news and there's no feedback channel, right? Except for the letters to the editors, um, but who was uh, who was using them? So mm. um, all of a sudden, we are able to share our opinions. We are able to share our voice. Now, this has a very, very uh, important uh, democratic component, if you want, right? Because people all of a sudden can share their opinions. And that was seen as uh, as the game changer. Uh, it is a game changer. And I think it's positive, right, that people can share their opinions. But obviously, that also comes with a lot of responsibilities, right? And uh, this is the tricky part. When too much uh, uh, freedom to participate is uh, is too much, right? Where do we really draw the line? Um, we should allow people to have an opinion, right? But at the same time, you know, you start to go into a rabbit hole where people are sharing opinions about, uh, right, whether the earth is uh, flat or not, right? right? And, or, uh, or whether COVID is real, has... yeah. Exactly, right? I mean, uh, personally, I'm all for participation, but you it's impossible not to start to ask yourself what are the limits uh, to this and i think we must be aware that any kind of participation any kind of um, expression of our voice of our opinions on uh, these social uh, platform sites they ultimately come with a lot of responsibilities right and unfortunately most of the users who go uh, on this uh, uh, rabbit hole, they don't want to take responsibility for their opinions. Mm. We have extreme cases, if you think about uh, QAnon, right, in the USA. Uh, think about how everything started on these very underground, unregulated uh, platforms, right, where people just started to 
share rumors and to to spread rumors uh, and um, ultimately became quite uh, quite a big thing so um yeah definitely and Sorry. No, I was going to say, it's, it's interesting because the social media platforms say, we don't create the content. It's, we didn't say these things. We just provide the, the place, if you like, the online place. But do you think, or how much do you think social media platforms should be regulating what their users are doing? Or should the governments be regulating it or, or somebody else? Yeah, that, that's very important, right? And I think I think uh, it's a bit of cowardice from uh, uh, on behalf of these um, uh, social network platforms, because ultimately, yes, they say we only provide the infrastructure, right? You are driving the car, you are you are doing everything there, but uh, is that really the case? Um, because I don't think it's it's uh, it's uh, it's the case, right? You need to take, take responsibility on what happens on that platform. And here we can start to talk about internal regulations, how uh, these social network platforms are self-regulating themselves, and you can also have the external regulations, what governments and other institutions are are doing about them. And the key question is always, how do you find a sweet spot? How do you find a balance? where on one hand, you allow people to express themselves, but on the other hand, you need to make sure that people are not, you know, bullying others, they are not breaking the rules, they are not doing illegal things, right, mm. uh, on uh, these platforms. And if you if you uh, look at the discourse that um, uh, the representatives of these uh, social network platforms have, they will always say that they are doing their best, right? Facebook yeah. is uh, notorious for always coming out and saying, we are working on it, we are uh, having a large team of people uh, uh, going through the content, but you know, some uh, sometimes we cannot really do everything, so there will be exceptions. Um, I don't know, are those really exceptions? There are some great studies about uh, the people, you know, who go on these um, you know, platforms and, uh, and um, are moderators. And they are usually, you know, paid a very, very uh, low salary. They have a large volume of work. Uh, they rely a lot on algorithms, right? So if someone reports um, uh, uh, a, Facebook, a Facebook post, for example, uh, that will uh, be ultimately uh, be taken down. Um, but, you know, you can have a, a mob, you can have a team of people who just report something, right? And even if it's a fair uh, content, uh, that will uh, uh, be uh, taken off. So in some parts of the world, governments are trying to um, uh, to be proactive, right, and to interfere. But mm -hmm. the, 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 the fear is always that once the governments take over, they will also have their own interests, right? Yes, so we exactly. have different stakeholders. We have the, the governments, we have the uh, platforms themselves, and we have the public. And who should be served first? Mm. Most of the people uh, in research will say that the public should be served, right? Because these platforms do not exist without the public and they do not exist without the content created by the public. Uh, but once you see that social network platforms don't do enough, don't do a good job in regulating, then it's also the case that uh, having some governmental interference becomes uh, ultimately the case. And this can be done in many ways. For example, in the European Union, um, the, the governments will, uh, will uh, uh, interfere, but they will not interfere to censor people. They will just interfere to make sure uh, platforms are doing a better job. Right. So uh, it's still it's still an ongoing debate when too much regulation is too much and um, uh, what these platforms should uh, ultimately do. But I think 
we as users, we as the public, right, the citizens, we should hold them uh, accountable, accountable a bit mm. more because ultimately they have created these kind of, uh, of platforms, of networks that we as the public, we cannot really opt out. Right. right. We need to use them. We cannot, you know, uh, Facebook will say, well, if you are not happy with the terms, then maybe you shouldn't create an account. Is that really possible? I mean, I always compare <laughs> these uh, platforms with uh, uh, with uh, our everyday households. We need to have electricity, right? Mm. We need to have water. You cannot have these companies just saying, well, if you don't want water, then just don't, so, don't then take don't, it, right? Don't. We need to have it. <laughs> well, there exactly, are, I mean, right? there so are. So it's impossible to opt out. There are some people who who don't have any social media and you wonder like how do they know what's going on every day <laughs> because it's exactly. true how we do have, they keep in touch with friends yeah we've mm. become so reliant on it so so how do you how do you see the future of social social media where do you think it's going oh that's uh, you know if i had an answer to this probably i would be you'd be a billionaire <laughs> Exactly right. I mean, everyone is looking for that. Probably uh, we are moving in a, in an era where uh, these social uh, network platforms will be uh, even more driven by algorithms. Um, they will be more automated. Uh, they will um, create uh, uh, matches right between people, and uh, they will say you can connect with this person from another part of the world because you have more similar interests, right? If you remember how our uh, networks on Facebook, for example, uh, grew um, uh, 15 years ago, um, they were more community-based, right? I have a friend in real life and we also befriend on uh, social media, right? So it started from offline and it went into online. In the future, it will probably uh, uh, be mainly online. We will be able to uh, connect with um, uh, more like-minded individuals. How is this happening? Well, algorithms will be able to tell us so based on our preferences. Um, and everything will be more personalized, right? You will, um, uh, I think these uh, social network companies, they are making um, a lot of efforts in order to target more personalized content because that will come with more personalized uh, advertisements and ultimately they will be able to, um, to cash in, right? On uh, the user's uh, experience. Um, definitely any kind of social network platforms will try to keep us as much as possible on that particular uh, platform. Mm. So the efforts will go into this part. You will have um, uh, you will have services that are all available available in a single app. Think think about WeChat if you want. Right, right. you can do everything yes, the on super that app. app. Yeah. And these exactly. And in other parts of the world, whether it's Facebook or Instagram and so on, they will. Um, speed up the efforts in order to provide more full-on uh, uh, services, if you want. Yeah. Well, fascinating stuff. Um, Dr. Serban, thanks so much for joining us and, and giving us all those insights into social media. Definitely something we will all be watching uh, as time goes on. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And we've been speaking with Dr. Florence Serban, who's a lecturer in the Department of Commun Communication at Hong Kong Baptist University. You're listening to The 123 Show with me, Karen Coe.